According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 15. And uh, we'll start with verse 12. I think we wrapped up everything we were looking at in uh, verse 11. It's uh, it's a tough passage when you're talking about Sheol and Abaddon, when you're talking about uh, you know fallen angels, and you're talking about the dimension of uh, of the dead. Where do where do people go when they die? And uh, the idea of uh, of Sheol. Remember, in the Old Testament, they didn't go to heaven when they died. Even believers didn't go to heaven when they died. Everybody went to Sheol. Uh, Sheol was the realm of the of the dead, and it was uh, it was called down instead of up. Heaven was up, Sheol was down, and um, but we learned from Luke fifteen that that everyone who went to Sheol, then they were separated left and right, and and, uh, and some went to Abraham's bosom, place of comfort, or sometimes called paradise, and then the unbelievers would go to the other side, uh, which was torments, was a, a place of fire and a place of wrath. Uh, what we would call hell in the New Testament. So, but the whole thing was called Sheol in the Old Testament, and uh, and so there's significant Sheol studies. Abaddon uh, sometimes is referred to as a place, but more often than not, Abaddon is referred to as a person, a personal name for the fallen angel who is the king of the abyss and uh, things there. So anyway, not going to go back into that today. I think we've had enough on that. But there is a significant angelic conflict information to be found there. Also in Psalms, in Job, in Isaiah, uh, you get uh, some, some great information related to, uh, to those things. For this morning, though, we're going to move on to verses 12 and following. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. And uh, we'll handle that by itself. And then, uh, well, actually, no, we'll link it together with verse 14 and then verses 31 through 33. So that's where we're going to pick up. We're not going to do any of this, though, without prayer. Let's start with a word of prayer and uh, call upon our Father for His faithfulness to teach us the Word of God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the blessings that we have to assemble. And I thank you for humble believers, for brothers and sisters that want to know the truth. And uh, they are willing to go where the truth can be found. And even when that truth uh, rebukes them, even when the truth reproves them, this is a congregation that continues to come and continues to be fed and continues to accept the reproving, rebuking, exhorting with great patience and instruction. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And I pray that we would learn these lessons. I pray that um, the truth from the book of Proverbs would come alive in our thinking. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, uh, as we look at it again, um, I think there's some questions that are being asked here. And uh, good questions that each one of us should ask of ourselves, and then we can ask uh, of others uh, and uh, friends and loved ones, and maybe maybe even um, maybe even get them to ask the questions themselves if you're dealing with somebody that's that doesn't go to receive instruction that doesn't submit to the word of god that is not a part of a local church assembly for example uh things of that nature and and ask you know why don't you want to go there and uh are you a scoffer or do you think you know better and then uh, then god god says you need it why do you don't think you need it 
and uh, issues there. So a scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. And so if you don't love it, you don't do it. You don't go there. You don't participate. You just, you, what do you want some, why do you want to do that? Then verse 14, the mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of the fools feeds on folly. And you decide where it is you want to go and why you want to go there and what it is you want to eat. Uh, do you want to sink your meat, or your teeth into the meat of the Word of God? Uh, or are you happy with the, the, the folly of this fallen world? And this world is getting crazier and crazier every day, it seems. And the folly just gets worse and worse. And so uh, we have those questions. The point, let me put the point up on the slide. Um, this is point 10 in the outline that we give each chapter a separate outline. And so we've been outlining chapter 15 through nine points of study as of now. And here's our 10th main point. Who do we go to and why? What do we want to hear? What do we not want to hear? And uh, what do we need to hear? I think those are all legitimate questions that, that this passage brings up or sparks and that we all should consider and answer ourselves. Um, who do we go to and why? You know, if... Uh, if you've, if you've got a course of action that you want to take and you know that there are certain people that would counsel you against it, but then there are other people that would tell you, oh yeah, go ahead and do it, you know, and you know that up front. So who do you go to and say, hey, what do you think? Is this a good idea? <laughs> well, you selected that person for a reason because you knew they were going to tell you what you wanted to hear, okay? And you knew that you avoided the person that was going to say, no. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's an alcoholic, he's a crack cocaine addict, he just got out of prison, he doesn't really have his life together, and he's not even saved. I, I don't think you should be dating that guy, right? You know, so, uh, clearly, and I use an extreme illustration, but we, we do that. We, we, we pick and choose who we go to based upon what we want to hear. And, and we're wrong when we do that, okay? So who do we go to and why? What do we want to hear? And then you kind of built into that as, well, why do I want to hear that? What do I not want to hear? Which also includes, well, <laughs> why don't I want to hear it? Because the truth hurts, that's why. And, and, and uh, we don't want to hear it because we realize that it's probably what the Word of God says is probably right, and, uh, and I just don't want to hear it. And then ultimately, what do we need to hear? And oftentimes, that's exactly what we need. We need what we don't want. Uh, we don't want it, but we need it. And, uh, and that's, if, that's why if you have parents that love you, they will tell you what you need to hear, even if you don't want to hear it. And uh, same thing with, uh, if you have a pastor who loves you, if you have a, a husband who loves you, and any, any, it's, 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 it's what's res- the responsible party has to do. The one in authority has to speak the truth and has to give, uh, the, the, the child, the church member, the wife, whoever, whoever it is that's under his protective care has to be told the truth. And so they need to hear it, even if they don't want to hear it. So verse 12 and verse 14 come in a pairing like that. Uh, I'm going to hold off on 13 and 15. That's a separate issue, and we'll handle them as a unit. Uh, But later in the chapter, when we get to verses 31 through 33, the idea comes back again and again. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And, you know, the life you think, or the reproof, you think, well, who wants a reproof? What does that do? Well, it keeps you alive. How about that? (laughs) It is a life-giving reproof. 
Because if you don't listen to that reproof, you may find yourself engaged in, uh, uh, well, I call it a death style. It's not a lifestyle. Uh, they call it an alternate lifestyle. But in my mind, God has given us the lifestyle uh, in the Word of God. And if you want to take an alternate style, it's not a lifestyle. Okay, It's a death style. And it, it is. I mean, it comes with judgment, it comes with disease, it comes with shortened lifespan. Um, you know, smoking will take 10 years off your life. Homosexuality will take 20 years off your life. And, uh, and it doesn't come with the warning labels that the Surgeon General puts on cigarette packs, okay? But it's twice the effect on average, just in demographic terms. All right, so it's called a life-giving reproof. And, uh, and then dwelling among the wise in both time and eternity. What a privilege. What a privilege to be able to sit in a community and to fellowship in a community surrounded by such wisdom, surrounded by uh, those that fear the Lord. Verse 32, he who neglects discipline despises himself. And that's uh, that's what you get when you uh, pick and choose who you're going to and and uh, when you want the ear tickling and you want the person to tell you what you want to hear, you're neglecting the discipline. You're neglecting the humility that comes from the corrective rebu- uh, rebuke. So uh, you despise yourself as a self-hatred. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Remember in the very beginning of Proverbs, well, the months and whenever we started, chapter 1, acquire wisdom and with your wisdom acquire understanding. And that means submitting to the reproof because uh, we all get it. We absolutely all get it. We all need it. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility. And if you're not willing to submit to the humility, then you're not willing to to accept that. And it's necessary. It ha- absolutely is necessary before you can advance to the uh, to the glory and to the rewards and to all the, the blessings that come with maturity. So these are the questions. And I, and I think we ask them of ourselves. Uh, we can ask them of others. And it may be um, after, you know, if we have loved ones, family members, and, and they, you know, they're off doing what they're doing, not in the Word of God. And this could be an effective technique for us instead of just, you know, telling them bluntly, you need to be in Bible class. Uh, just ask the questions, you know, why are you avoiding Bible class? Uh, what is it you don't want to hear? What is it that you're keep you're putting that distance there so that you don't hear it? Why why are you not hearing what uh, the Lord tells you to hear? Right, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Other passages I think can illustrate this really well, including First Kings twenty two. This one makes me laugh. First Kings twenty two. I tell you, there are passages of Scripture that are just flat out hilarious, and I think God is uh, one of the greatest comedic authors. And First um, Kings, we're talking about the divided kingdom, right? So there's a northern kingdom, there's a southern kingdom, and uh, sometimes they're at war with each other, and sometimes they're teaming up, and, and it just depends on who the kings are and, and what the relationship is like between the two Jewish kingdoms. And um, so this chapter begins, uh, three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. Aram is to the north, northeast of Israel. And uh, in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the, kings, uh, to the king of Israel. And uh, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He feared the Lord. He was like David. He was a good king. Uh, he made a couple mistakes. 
And, um, but by and large, when he died, the testimony was that he was a good king and he was numbered among the good kings of, uh, of Judah. Here is not so smart, uh, when he decides he's going to have a cooperation with the wicked king of Israel. But he comes down to the king of Israel and the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? It had been captured previously. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And so he really has this threefold involved um, statement that says, I'm with you, right? I'm with you, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm here. You know, we're, we're, we're all Jews and, and I'm with you on this. Okay. And, and, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves that. You know, what harmony hath light with darkness, what fellowship, what concord, you know. If if we have family members or relatives and we want to do things, there's family events or there's things that are scheduled, but, you know, where do you draw the line? How how on board are you with it? How, you know, enthusiastic are you, you know, saying, yeah, I'm with you. And this threefold statement of, you know, my horses are your horses, my people are your people, and he's all jazzed about doing this. And... uh it's, it's curious to me. So moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Oh, there's an idea. <laughs> you know, it's like the family dinner and nobody remembered to pray. Like, should we pray first? And you know, we are a Christian family, right? So let's pray. And, and you know, we're Jewish kings. We should seek Yahweh's will to, uh, to go before we go to war. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Now, who are these guys? Do you remember? In the north, they're idol worshipers. They're Baal worshipers. They're, remember uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and they had all these prophets of Baal that were competing with Elijah and, and different things. The king in the north does not have good prophets. But he's got men that will tell him what he wants to hear. That's significant. Okay? So uh, 1 Kings 22.6, as we're reading this. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. After Jehoshaphat said... Let's inquire for the word of Yahweh. Let's inquire first for the word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, before we go to war. So the king of Israel gathered prophets that are not Yahweh prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. They told him what he wanted to hear. Okay? So much doctrine in this chapter. And uh, so, well, there you go. We prayed about it. Let's do it. <laughs> did you really pray about it? Seriously? Or did you just, you know, talk to who you wanted to talk to and who told you what you wanted to hear in the first place? And then maybe you cherry-picked, you found a verse here and there and said, yep, the Bible says I can do this. So Jehoshaphat said, uh, hold on a second, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we can inquire? <laughs> you know, you got 400 guys, that's real impressive, but I, you know, I'd be happy with one prophet of Yahweh. That's all we need. One prophet of Yahweh. You know, David had Solomon, or he had uh, Samuel, he had Nathan. You know, just one prophet. Elijah, anybody. Isaiah. I only need one prophet of Yahweh. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> Isn't that great? 
There's one pastor in town that teaches the Bible, and I just hate his guts. I am not going back to that church ever again. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Well, don't hate him if he's a prophet of Yahweh and Yahweh is pronouncing evil against you. That's, uh, that's something to listen to and, and repent from and accept the rebuke. It's a life-giving rebuke. Anyway, his name is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And uh, he's not as famous as a lot of the other prophets. He didn't get to write a book of the Old Testament. There's no book of Micaiah. Anyway, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Don't, don't speak like that against the Lord's anointed. So the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. And, and he knows where he is. He's under observation. The, the, he's got an officer there keeping tabs on him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in the robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them, all those false prophets, those liars, demoniacs, ultimately. Then uh, it's curious what happens here. So um, Zedekiah, the son of Kaniah made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And so all that's taken place. Then verse 13, When the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. This is when the little Weasley, you know, presidential aide comes along, or the political, you know, the political uh, staff member uh, comes along and says, Psst, okay, here's the script. <laughs> Follow this. Everybody's in agreement, right? We have a consensus. All, every scientist believes in global warming. So you gotta, this is what you gotta say, right? Or whatever. And so, all the, the words of the, all the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. Good for him, right? This guy's a hero. I, love, I like this guy. So when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain and he answered him, go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. <laughs> well, that's what he wanted to hear, right? Isn't that great? Micaiah is agreeing with all these false prophets. But wait a minute. The king said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He's actually lying to him. He's just telling him what he wants to hear. He's saying, oh yeah, Yahweh says you should go to war. And the king of the north knows, Ahab knows that this is a lie. So I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh. I adjure you. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good 
concerning me, but evil. See, there you go. I told you so. Told you so. Now, all of that, if the chapter ended there, this would be extraordinary. We would have an amazing picture. We would have a contrast between the, uh, the king of the north, the king of the south, between Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And we would have uh, the contrast between Micaiah and the false prophets. And it'd be very similar to the Elijah battle and different things. But now, in verses 19 and following, we actually get to go to heaven. We have a glimpse of the scene in heaven. We find out who's empowering all these false prophets. And we find out in the invisible realm, in the angelic world, what's happening uh, while all these other things are happening here on earth. So Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him, on his right and on his left. And that's, that's important, because fallen angels still have access to heaven, but they don't mingle with the elect angels. And uh, they have access to heaven in order to file their complaints, in order to file their accusations and their charges before the judicial court. Okay? They don't have access to the temple, but they do have access to the court, to the throne. So the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, well, another said that. So Yahweh is actually throwing out a job interview. He's throwing out a posting of a, of a mission. And he says, I need King Ahab to be enticed to go die in war. And one said this, while another said that. There was just a big hubbub in the, in the, in the place. They were all, oh, me, 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 I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. So the Lord said, how? He said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. And this is such an insight. What a, what a story. What a, what, a, what a way for us to understand the permissive will of God, for us to understand how God will use even fallen angels. He will use unclean spirits. He will use any tool at his disposal, even the adversary, Satan. So when Satan gets permission to afflict Job in the book of Job, I think we can understand that better now, right? Because of this chapter and other, we get these little glimpses on, uh, on how these things operate. And uh, even, even as wicked as they are in the north, he's still a Jew. He's still one of God's chosen people. He's still hands off unless I say so, right? And so even Ahab and Jezebel, hands off unless I say so. And so here he gets the permissive will. You are to entice him and prevail, go and do so. So, now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in, your, in the mouth of all these, your prophets. Micaiah is talking, pointing to these 400, 400 guys. And they're, they're speaking the demonic utterances. He's put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Okay? Anyway, do I want to read the rest of this? It's such a good illustration. So Zedekiah, the son of Kaniah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. <laughs> All right. The, the hazards of preaching the truth. Said, how did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? And uh, yeah, Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you enter in an inner room and hide yourself. Then the uh, king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. 
and uh, say, thus says the king, put this man in prison, feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, well, if you indeed return safely, then the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, listen, all you people. All right. Now, this just gets more, is this not already, I mean, it's deep, it's, 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 it's profound, it's, it's hilarious in some ways. Um, it gets funnier too. <laughs> when they go to war, uh, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. All right, so here we go. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> you know, we're both kings and everything, you know, we're dressed pretty spectacular. Earlier, they were both sitting on thrones, right? Side by side, they were in robes and thrones and all the prophets. Anyway, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, hey, I got this great idea. I'm going to disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your robes. <laughs> so you can look like a king in your chariot and be all you know fancy and important looking. I'm going to disguise myself. This sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? All right. And uh, Jehoshaphat, who, who was a good king, I've got to tell you, he was a good king. He just did some dumb things. So uh, the king of Aram had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. He was targeted. He was marked. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, aha, surely, this is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And so uh, God was gracious towards Jehoshaphat, even though I think he was kind of dumb to do the whole thing here. Now a certain man, some random, random guy, drew his bow at random, struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. Can you imagine? Just a random archer with a random arrow, just a random, you know, what luck. <laughs> okay, but God's in charge of this, right? He's assigned all the, 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 the fallen angels and all the false prophets. He's got total sovereignty in this whole chapter. But a random archer with a random arrow struck a random guy who wasn't even dressed like the king, and it happened to hit at a, at a seam in the armor, accident, I mean, just a million to one shot. If he'd been aiming for it, he probably couldn't have hit it. And yet, uh, in a joint of the armor, so he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And he's going to die of this. This is, uh, this is the end of Ahab. So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. So, all of that was to illustrate, we hear what we want to hear, and we don't listen to who we don't want to listen to. And if there's somebody that's going to tell you the truth, you may end up hating him. As uh, verse 8 says, there's one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. I hate him. All right, John 3. Let's get to the New Testament. Jesus talks about this. John chapter 3. And this is the night that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And uh, he knows that this is the Christ. He knows because of the miracles. The miracles are undeniable. No one can do these signs you do unless God is with them. And uh, so he wants answers. And uh, so Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. And, and Nicodemus doesn't understand that. And these other things here. Then he's going to go to the cross. Talks about that in verse 14. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him will have eternal life. And um, but in this in this context, then verse nineteen, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That's why you pick and choose where you go and who you listen to. Because if you're walking in darkness and there's somebody communicating truth, communicating in the light, you don't want to go there. You absolutely don't want to go there. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth, you notice that? Not just a hearer of the word of God, but a doer, a true disciple, practicing the truth, comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So, tremendous text. Who do we go to and why? Who do we want to hear? Who do we not want to hear? What do we need to hear? 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Characteristic of our age, our day and age. Paul warned about it. He warned about it, and here we are. I lost Timothy. Somebody took Tim. Oh, there he is. All right. Second Timothy. This is uh, often the text selected for ordination uh, messages, like with Pastor Cliff and Pastor Dan, and others may be coming up, and or my own ordination message. Emil Schmidt delivered this. I solemnly charge you. Oh no, no, John Eichmann delivered this. John Eichmann delivered this. Emil had the message. John had the charge. All right. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And you don't get to the didasco, the teaching, until the very end of that verse. It follows the reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and all teaching. And remember that reproof is a life-giving reproof. It's the rebuke that the the scoffer doesn't want. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They get the teachers they want. They get the teachers that, that, that tickle their ears, that entertain them, that... um Yeah, according to their own lusts, their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. They will turn aside to myths. Remember, when you fall away from doctrine, you are paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Don't stop what you're doing because they're leaving you in droves. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, they'll come back. If not, stay faithful. See, don't change what you're doing to try to lure them back. Don't become an ear tickler to get them back. Keep speaking the truth. And that's the, uh, that's the application there. All right. Back to Proverbs 15 then. So the way the poetry here is structured 
Verse 12 and 14 are very linked. And then verses 13 and 15 are very linked. So we got this back and forth going. So in 12 and 14, we've got the scoffer and, and uh, rejecting truth, uh, rejecting knowledge, happy to feed on the, the foolishness. In verses 13 and 15, we talk about our emotions. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. And then verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. And so both of these verses are speaking uh, of uh, our emotional well-being. In fact, also verse 30 of this chapter, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. And so the, the connection between our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, and our physical well-being, we find them linked together in, uh, in several different ways here throughout, throughout Proverbs and throughout much of Scripture. So uh, this would take us then to point 11. Heart conditions will impact physical and spiritual well-being. This is where you want to have a heart condition. <laughs> you want to have a good heart condition. We all have heart conditions. We're not talking about the, the blood pumping organ in your chest. We're talking about the innermost being, the inner man. And the heart is the innermost of the inner man. Okay? In Greek, it's the cardia. In Hebrew, it's the lavav or the lave. And it speaks of the, the seat of your intellect, your sensibility, and your will. It, uh, it's, uh, and it's not an emotional center either, but it does affect the emotional center. The emotional center will affect the heart. They have a, a mutual uh, effect, almost symbiotic in that, uh, in that way. But heart conditions will impact physical and spiritual well-being. If your heart is a wreck, it will impact your soul and spirit. It will impact the inner man and it will have physical effects. Psychosomatic illnesses that will happen uh, that your soul can make your body sick. See, Likewise, if your heart is well, that, that benefits your soul health and benefits your spiritual health. And a, a solid spiritual health can often have physical health benefits as well. Okay? And, and as long as we're clear on this, it's not an absolute and it's not a, a godly people still get sick. Okay? You can have a great heart and, and you love the Lord and you're in the Word of God and you still, you know, we're fallen bodies in a fallen world. Right? So we're still going to have issues. We're still going to have all the things that that uh, that humans get, and that's what happens. And you know, strange things that happen. I didn't even read the whole story, but someone their dog licked them, and they've got this this thing that's happening now. I'm going to go back and read that story. I just saw the headline this morning. But yeah, we're, we have fallen bodies in a fallen world, so that happens, and uh, and we understand that. However, there is a, a connection between the heart. And, uh, and the body. And, uh, and so this happens here. Let's just take these again. Verse 13, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. And so that's a principle for the most part. Uh, a principle for the most part, if it with, uh, you know, to me, Fallon's the biggest illustration of this, you know, just bubbly and cheerful. And I'm like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and just, that's, that's, an external testimony to 
where her heart is to living in the Word of God, okay? And it's not to insult myself or anybody else. If you're not as bubbly as, as her, there's something wrong with your walk. But I'm not saying that. But there are effects. There are effects. I had a waitress the other day that was so friendly and cheerful, and I was like, wow, are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? I, just, I was just convinced. And then she proved me wrong. I said, no, no, I don't really go for that. I'm kind of agnostic. Um, I, used to, I used to be saved. All right. <laughs> Sharon and I just glanced at each other and said, all right, she still is saved. We know that. But um, anyway, so there's benefits. And then when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Now notice that the heart, the inner man, you can have a sadness that reaches to the core of your being. I like to use the word core when I'm thinking of heart because it's that dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's the very core of who we are. It's the innermost being of the inner man. And that can be sad. When the heart is sad, it breaks the spirit. It breaks the spirit. Okay? We had an earlier verse in this proverb, in, in this chapter that talked about the broken, talked about the crushed spirit in verse 4, perversion crushes the spirit. And so you can actually injure your soul, you can injure your spirit. The, uh, it is subject to spiritual injury and uh, hardness uh, or a sadness of heart will break the spirit. So that's an effect. We've got to get that. Uh, verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are bad. Every day is a bad day, right? You ever have a uh, Weeks like that, months like that, years like that. Every day is a bad day. When every day is a bad day, what does that tell you? Yeah, well, you're under affliction. All the days of the afflicted are bad. We're all under affliction one time or another, and sometimes for a great length of time. And uh, and those are going to be bad days. You're not going to you know, mark them on the calendar and, and reflect upon them in, 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 with joy in coming years. You're going to thank God for getting you through them. You're going you're gonna, to uh, praise Him for giving you the strength to endure it. And then when it's done, thank Him that it's done. And, uh, and learn what you're learning during the time of the affliction. But a cheerful heart has a continual feast. And um, even, under, even when you're having the bad days, even when you're under affliction, does that stop you from fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and, and perfecter of your faith? Does that stop you from feasting day by day? Throw a spiritual feast today. Why not? And uh, take it from there. Verse 30, um, bright, again, bright eyes gladden the heart. And, and, and I think uh, Jesus expands upon this when he talks about the light, uh, uh, the, the eyes being the lamp of the body. And if, uh, if your eyes are dark, the whole, you know, are you look, the bright eyes means you're looking at the light. You're in the word of God. Take in doctrine. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It gladdens the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. That's the gospel to get saved, but that's any good news. So when you're in the Word of God, there's a benefit. Chapter 17 and verse 22. Also, Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. You know this one, yeah. Yeah, this is a favorite for a lot of folks. Proverbs seventeen twenty two. So heart conditions will impact physical and spiritual well-being. A couple of sub-points under this. Um, because the contrast in the poetry here 
is a joyful heart is contrasted with the sad heart. The joyful heart is contrasted with the sad heart. That's the contrast. As the innermost being acts upon the duality of our human existence, the physical, spiritual human existence. The joyful heart is contrasted with the sad heart. As the innermost being acts upon the duality of our human existence. That's what this verse is saying. The condition of the heart, the heart condition, affects your spirit and affects your body. That's the duality of our human existence. We have the inner man and the outer man. That's a duality. The inner man and the outer man. The duality of our human existence. And that heart condition is going to have an impact, either for good or for bad. Ideally, it'll be for good. Okay. And um, it's curious how it's not, uh, it's not circumstances that determine whether your heart is joyful or whether your heart is sad. <laughs> it's not circumstances. You can't blame the circumstances. As even when you're having the bad day, the cheerful heart can still have the feast. It's not circumstances. We're not slaves to our circumstances. What is it that makes the heart glad? Living in the Word of God. Bright eyes, good news. Living in the Word of God makes the heart glad. So the joyful heart is contrasted with a sad heart. That's Proverbs 15, 13. As the innermost being acts upon the duality of our human existence. And if you want some verses for the inner man, well, that's 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Right? Though the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. I think we all got that. That's, that's evident. That's the, you know, it's, it's only the outer man that gets the wrinkles and sags and falls apart and needs a hip replacement and whatever. The inner man, there's no wrinkles to the inner man. The inner man is beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful, sweeter as the years go by, as it's renewed day by day. The inner man is renewed day by day. And, uh, and things there, okay? <laughs> what a great message to deliver on a day like today. This is, uh, you might have seen on Facebook this morning, this is a big day in our marriage. This is the day, this is, we've been married 9,930 days, which is 27 years, two months, and eight days, right? That's how old Sharon was when we got married. So as of today, since she was 27 when we got married, we've been married 27 years plus a couple of months and a few days. That's how you come up with, you've got to count 9,930 days. So, and the inner man is just more and more beautiful. We're not getting older, well, physically, but you know. Anyway, it's kind of fun. Think about that, right? It also means we're 70 days shy of 10,000, and uh, which comes on 1010. We hit, we hit 10,000 days on October 10th. We hit 10K on 1010. Isn't that cool? Anyway. I think it's a sign from God. And uh, (laughs) I don't know. Sharon told me I have too much time on my hands that I I find things like this. (laughs) Well, we have this. 2 Corinthians 4.16. The inner man, the outer man. And uh, the outer man can be fallen apart, but the inner man is renewed day by day. The outer man perishes. It's just what it does. 
subject to the second law of thermodynamics. It's just falling apart. We're getting older. Uh, but then there's the inner man, and then within the inner man is the innermost, the innermost being. And that, that's kind of an interesting expression too. And in Job, he talks about this. Job 38, 36. So, um, Elihu finishes his thing in chapter 37, and now Yahweh himself is speaking in uh, 38 and 39 here, and 40. But in 38, 36, and all this stuff, can you do this, Job? Can you do this, Job? The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, said, who do you think you are? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You sure say a lot for a guy that doesn't know so much. He says, now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Okay, if you think you know more than I do, great. So put on your pants and teach me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I don't remember you being there, Job. So tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurement since you know? Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its, corning, its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the B'nai Elohim, sons of God, shouted for joy. Were you there, Job? This, this is such a rebuke. And there's such doctrine in this chapter. And so it goes, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but um, when have you done this? When have you done that? Verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning, caused the dawn to know its place? The sun never once rose because you told it to. But you know what? God does. God controls everything. Jesus controls history. And uh, verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Here's the link between the abyss and the abyss, the sea and the sea. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? These are the dimensional portals between the physical universe and the realm of light and the realm of darkness. So take me there, Job. You know your way around. You created all this. (laughs) Verse 21, you know. You were there. You were born then. The number of your days is great. And uh, all these things. Um... Has the, verse 28, has the rain a father? Or has begotten the, who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice, the frost of heaven? Who, gave it, who has given it birth? Gets astronomical in verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Boy, they had a lot of science in their day. Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Is that an awkward placement for that verse? seems to me that for God himself to communicate to our innermost being is even more miraculous than the constellations in the heavens. 
you know? All the constellations moving where they're moving and doing what they're doing. That's impressive. But to give the wisdom of God to my innermost being, wow, that's like a step beyond in uh, a whole other dimension. All right, Psalm 51.6, David addresses this in his confession This is his repentance after a year of carnality or longer. The pregnancy was nine months and then the baby died and then, of course, he was exposed after the baby was born. The baby lived a week, but he was carnal that whole time. He was covering up his own darkness the whole time. It was not until the prophet came and rebuked him <clears throat> that he uh, repented. And, uh, and so he's going to be confessing of this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Remember, God is the only standard of righteousness. We talked about this on Sunday when it was the Father to whom Jesus was crucified, not to us. He was crucified on our behalf, on our behalf, but he was crucified to the Father. And that's why that apostasy in Hebrews is so severe when we re-crucify Jesus to ourselves. When we, when we re-crucify him to ourselves, when we put ourselves in the place of needing to be propitiated and determining the standards of righteousness and when are we satisfied? No, no, it's against God and God only have we sinned. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. And so the hidden part, we can think of this as the hidden place of the Most High and the, the place of intimacy and, and um, what a blessing that we have. Truth in the innermost being. Proverbs 20, 27 has this phrase as well, the innermost being. Verse 24, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? Uh, verse 27, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. Anyway, there's the innermost being, the innermost parts of his being. The spirit of a man is a lamp, the lamp of the Lord. That's where he's going to put the truth. John seven thirty eight, Jesus addresses this. John seven thirty eight. Talking about the living water and um, judging with righteous judgment. 
Anyway, on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. And this is uh, the feast he didn't go up to right away, but he went up to uh, partway through. And uh, they were all wondering, where is he? Where is he? Why is he not here? Because this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is in the fall. This is the feast where he's, uh, uh, there's some millennial fulfillment to this feast. And, and he doesn't want, doesn't want this to be, uh, there's a problem here in this. And anyway, so he goes up secretly. He goes up halfway through and he doesn't claim the throne. This is the feast when kings should be coming and bowing before him. And I think he's being very cautious here because he's six months out from the cross. But on the last day, he cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So there's the inner man and the innermost being. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we have the outer man and the inner man, and then within the inner man is the innermost in the innermost being, that's where God will plant the truth. That's where we want to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's that innermost being that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and brings it to life and it can flow forth. There's, uh, there's a lot there to understand with the innermost. The innermost. Having a bad day is not determinative of the believer's heart condition or spiritual well-being. Having a bad day is not determinative of the believer's heart condition or spiritual well-being. We're not slaves to our circumstances. And we may have a string of bad days. Jesus did. It's a human experience. So... Uh, all the days of the afflicted are bad. If you're having a bad day, it just means you're under affliction. All right? That's not weird. It's not unusual. Don't count it as a strange thing, as if some strange thing is happening to you. It's called life. And in particular, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's called angelic conflict. But a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So keep your heart cheerful. You can have your spiritual feast as your inner man is renewed day by day, even while uh, the outer man is perishing. Chapter 18 and verse 14. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Boy, there's a truth in that. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness. If you think about it, you know, you keep your eyes where they're supposed to be. You stay walking by faith. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He gives the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Lord provides. The Lord sustains. And, you know, and I think of, you know, different believers. Pastor Mark Perkins right now going through the, the bone marrow transfusion and surviving, trying to recover. And, and um, they say if you're over 60, your odds aren't so great. If you're under 60, your odds are better. And uh, he just had—I think he just had his 59th birthday, so he's right on the—he's right on the cusp of that of that line. But his spirit is right where it needs to be. And that's a good thing. As for a broken spirit, who can bear it? And I think a lot of times we've observed this, whereby you know, when when the, when the will to to fight just surrenders, if the person just quits fighting, quit trying, quits, he just surrenders. The will is broken. The spirit is broken. 
And uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, the sickness, the disease or whatever, it, it, it moves so much faster. The, the departure comes so much quicker. Okay? And I don't know if, if I can find more verses besides this one, but other biblical basis to support that. It's just I've seen it. I've seen it in, in many cases. They just, they've lost the will to fight. And, and really, it's like a release. It's like, you know, I've done what I've come to do. My time is done. You know, I've run my course. And um, anyway, it doesn't have to be a broken spirit that, that hastens that. It could just be a, a spirit at peace that hastens that. But anyway, as it relates to this, having a bad day is not determinative of the believer's heart condition or spiritual well-being. All right, we'll come back next week and we're ready for verses 16 and 17 because um, this is now the second time we've come across a better than uh, poetic structure. Better than. Better than. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. And so what's better? The vegetarian diet or the carnivorous diet? Well, what's better? Love or hate? Anyway, the wife who loves you can give you a plate of vegetables and you'll thank her for it. And the wife who hates you, uh, well, hmm. (laughs) you know, Boy, it sure smells good and it looks like a nice fat steak, but man, she hates me. Yeah, what's in that steak? What's, uh... anyway, we'll have some fun with it. Next week will be amusing. We'll just anticipate. There's, uh, there's stuff to learn there. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for truth. Thank you for, thank you for 1 Kings 22 and the angelic conflict information there. And thank you for, um, all that you've taught us here this morning. Uh, we recognize that uh, we don't just pick and choose who we listen to based on what we want to hear. We listen to you, whoever your servant is. If it's, um, And also, Father, if it's Pastor Bob or one of the students or whatever, we're not, we're not dodging anybody. Um, we're listening to everybody we listen to because it's you, Father. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, to the local churches. So, Father, I thank you for these uh, these uh, passages. I thank you for what they communicate. I pray that we would understand them, that we would uh, uh, embrace them, and that we would live them out uh, in uh, in every way that you've designed it for. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.